We're in Judges chapter 14. If you're reading 100 days of reading, you're in Genesis. But today we're in Judges and we have been as we've been part of this series. But we're in Judges chapter 14 speaking on Samson today. We encourage you maybe to find, follow along in God's Word. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 14 today. This uh, now is the Word of God. Judges chapter 14 and verse 1. Would you stand and honor the reading of God's Word? Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she's right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and, the, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked to the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days he returned to take her, and he returned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped into his hands, and he went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he didn't tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. Verse 10 reads, His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, Now let me put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, Put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days they could not solve the riddle. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word today, and you may be seated. Encourage you to keep your Bibles open. We'll have some verses on the screen as we go, but also you want to be looking that for yourself. Now, we are told more. We've been talking about the judges in the book of Judges and kind of doing maybe character studies on these, but we're told, told more about Samson and given more stories about Samson than any other judge in the book. We are intrigued at the stories of Samson. Well, or at least I am. We perhaps admire his courage, but it we found out and we'll discover more that Samson is not following God's plan, nor is he walking close to him. We'll also see God continuing to be at work and present in the four chapters that talk particularly about Samson. Now last week we began this series and we looked at the birth and early childhood of Samson. And next week we're going to look at more perhaps of the women in Samson's life, particularly focusing in on Delilah. And the theme of this series has been and will continue to be this month on stepping up when others are stepping down. And while there was an unmistakable call on Samson's life, he was not stepping up. Let's admit the fact that Samson was on a spiritual decline. Now notice verse 1 we read just a moment ago. It says, Samson went down 
Titimna, which thus began a spiritual decline further and further away from walking with God. Now, knowing the location of Timna probably will help us to be able to see the picture of what's taking place because it had been maybe southwest of where the people of Israel were living at that time. There, Timna, it was a town of the Philistines about four miles into enemy territory. It had at one time belonged to Judah, but now the Philistines had taken it over. And the Philistines had uh, ruled over the uh, and oppressed the Jews for some 40 years. Now Samson went into the town of Timna, it seemed, without any fear of physical or even spiritual threat. Philistines had taken over this town as well as many others that belonged to Israel. They had taken all of their weapons. Uh, they were allowing the Jews to live in the land. The people of Israel were certainly no threat to the Philistines. And at this time, God's people were not crying out to God for help. Make sure we understand the people of Israel were not crying out to God for help. They seemed to be more or less, maybe not content, but accepting of the enemy's rule and they were afraid to rock the boat, perhaps worried that even worse things might come. Boy, does that sound familiar. And while for the most part they had forgotten God, God had not forgotten them. For even in Samson's spiritual decline, God's going to be at work and He is going to be working through Samson. And through in these chapters, verses 14 and 15, we find that Samson seems to be oblivious to how God is at work. And as we read and as we Tell the story of Samson in this particular part of Samson's life. I want you to watch with me for Samson's decline so that you might be able to avoid the same in your life. I might be able to avoid the same in my life. But also, I want you to watch for how God continues to be at work to begin to stir up and put the enemy on notice. Now, today, here's what I'd like for us to do in these few minutes that we have together. I want us to kind of take a... Sunday drive through the chapter. And we're going to be able to discover and look for lessons that we can learn about Samson along the way on fighting spiritual decline. Fighting spiritual decline. Think about it today. Certainly is that not a lesson that is needed for us. And, and then whenever we see or we hear God mentioned or the Spirit of the Lord, well, if we're driving through, we're going to pull off the side of the road for just a moment and see what the Word is telling us about God which should also serve for us as incentive to step up and not fall in decline. So, one of the very first things that we see in the story of Samson in chapter 14, if we're going to fight spiritual decline, is to stay out of enemy territory. Stay out of enemy territory. Now, we're, we're not called to live monastic lives where we only come in contact with fellow believers and never come in contact with the outside world. In fact, I don't even think that we're all meant to stay in our homes and not come out for very long, no matter how dangerous the world is. I was encouraged by one of our members who I visited with there at the front door not long ago, and, and uh, she was uh, staying in due to health reasons and age and these kinds of things. And, and as we were talking, she said, she said, Brother Jeff, I just I feel that I don't tell enough people about Jesus, and, I, and now I can't get out, so... Whenever I make a customer service call, and it sounded like she made them pretty frequently, she said, she said, whenever I make a customer service call, even though I realize they're probably in another country, she said, I tell them about Jesus, and I tell them and I encourage them to accept Jesus as their Savior. And I thought, oh, praise God. And then I also thought, boy, 
who else has more time to spend an hour and a half when you call customer service than somebody who's a shut-in? But thank God that somebody that she's doing that. Staying out of enemy territory also has little to do with building healthy relationships with all family members and friends. Remember, people are not our enemy. Ungodly territory has to do with actions and attitudes, those things which you know that are displeasing to God contrary to His words. It could be anything from the books that we read to movies that we watch to sex to gossip to greed to cheating to abuse to even some people in unhealthy relationships and the list goes on and on. Again, to not observe any of these things we would have to live in a holy bubble and it would be near impossible to accomplish. And we know that that would not be God's desire as we are to be the salt and the light in the, of the world in which we're called to be. But here's where I want you to see the difference. Had Samson fully followed God's call in his life, it's likely that he would found himself in the same enemy territory. But instead of an observer... He would instead come as a deliverer and rallied God's people to come with him to defeat the enemy and to take back perhaps even the land. Now, but instead of an army behind him with the intent of bringing victory, he's alone. And at the very least, he's there only to observe and at the most maybe to show that he has no fear of reprisal. Well, what's the harm of venturing out and being curious with the ways of the world? Well, Samson reveals to us maybe more so than any other story in the Old Testament since Adam and Eve and the forbidden fruit, the harm of dwelling too long on temptations or in enemy territory. He sees the daughter of a Philistine, and she must have been one fine Philistine babe, for he's smitten. And he goes back home to his parents, and he tells them, we read it a moment ago, he says... I saw one. You saw one what? I saw the daughter of a Philistine. Get her for me. Now, I wish I could tell you that somehow there's a, something that gets lost in the Hebrew when it gets translated in English that makes it sound worse than it is. But I got to tell you, it sounds pretty bad in the Hebrew as well. Mom and Dad, you do as I say, not. Oh, I'm in love. Uh, let me tell you who I've seen. Could you help me meet her, please? Now, the thing that we do need to understand about the culture is that marriages were usually arranged by the parents, or at least they were heavily involved in the choice for their sons and their daughters, much so more than today. Well, ask the Lord to help you to define enemy territory and then give you the strength to keep your feet and your mind and your heart away from where you need to be. But one of the signs that we have ventured off into enemy territory is when we see a decline in relationships, and in particular family relationships, and we are the cause. So if you want to fight spiritual decline, not only stay out of enemy territory, but follow all of God's plan. Follow all of God's ways, especially when it comes to your family. Now, you, you can only make decisions for yourselves. Sometimes we want to make decisions for others, but the truth is we cannot do that. We can only make decisions for ourselves. But the Bible tells us, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with everyone. And surely that applies, certainly with our family. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 says this. It says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. 
For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. A couple of observations about this scripture. You've probably read it before. But if this is the description of the characteristics of the last days, then buddy... We're in it. But probably the same thing could have been said about the days of the judges. Dark days during the period of the judges in between the time of coming into the promised land and before there were kings. A summary of most of the days or the most of the people during the days of the judges is found in a verse that's repeated many times in Judges and it's in the very last verse of the book as well. Judges chapter 21 and verse 25 says this, In their days there was no king in Israel. And this part is repeated several times in the book. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Another observation. Probably in this long list of how bad things have been in 2 Timothy 3, put that back on the screen. Maybe in our eyes, well, disobedience to parents doesn't seem so bad. But when you consider the context of these verses, it's characteristic of a people who are falling farther and farther into sin instead of walking closer to God. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, it talks about obeying parents and honoring parents. And while the Bible does not necessarily make a distinction between those two commands, obey your parents and honor parents, it seems to me to be very practical that for those who are living And depending on their parents as far as financial contributions and the parents are paying the bills, it seems like practical application is that those are the ones who are certainly to be obeying their parents. But all children, even as adult children, we understand that we're all to be honoring our parents. Now when it comes to obeying our parents, we know that there's an exception because we have a greater authority who is of the Lord, and when your parent is asking you to do something that you know is contrary to what God wants, and certainly depending on your age, you need to find another authoritative figure maybe to help with that. But at all times, honor is due, even with adult children, and there's a way with the Lord's help to always show honor to parents and all family members, even when you disagree. And I say this because the inclusion of Samuel of Samson's parents in chapters 13 and 14 lends itself to this discussion. Can we agree that Samson did not show much honor and certainly not obedience? He was running the show his way and that's all that mattered. When, when they said, you know, there are some nice young Jewish girls around here probably that you could date. How about one of them? His mom may have said something like, you know, I was at the beauty shop the other day and Dora said that her daughter's not dating anyone. How about her? I mean, the answer could be understood to to mean anybody but the Philistines. Maybe some neighboring nations of distant relatives. Now, I've not seen the movie and probably won't see the movie called Why Him? But the first part of chapter 14 could be subtitled, Why Her? Because I want her was his reply. Get her for me. She's the one I want. And what do we read? She is just right for me. Hey, he's not even talked to her yet. And he's saying these things. Now, Judges chapter 14 and verse 4, we read a moment ago, 
It is a curious verse where God is highlighted. So we're going to pull over for just a moment. His father and mother, it says, did not know that it was from the Lord. For he, God, was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Now, let there be no doubt, it's repeated many times, the Israelites are not to marry daughters of other nations primarily because they were worshiper of idols. However, the marrying of non-Yahweh God worshipers had become common. Now, this is also one of the commands of the Israelites, which in a sense has recurred and been recurrent in the New Testament, where Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians not to be unequally yoked. It has nothing to do with nationality, but everything to do with being a follower of Jesus. And so we're reminded that it is always God's intention for followers of Jesus to marry other followers of Jesus. But... Would you not say it's fairly common today for believers to fall in love with non-believers and to, and to marry or living together without or before marriage or even alternative lifestyles? This is, these things have become fairly common and fairly accepted in our society today. Would you not agree? Judges 14.4 is not meant to say that God is changing the rules for special people or special circumstances or even a changing culture. That's not, nor will it ever be the case. God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Now, I will admit to you that the story of Samson, how the Lord is at work, is a little bit of an enigma, meaning difficult to wrap your head around. It's puzzling at times. It's hard to understand exactly how or why God is doing what He's doing in the story. So what do you do when you come across a passage that is kind of hard to understand or hard maybe to even make applications? Well, sometimes you need to dig a little bit deeper, and you'll find that digging a little bit deeper may be well worth the effort. But you begin by prayerfully asking, what do you know is true about God that can be discovered in this passage? Here's the thing that you know is true in this story, and it's true in every story. God has a plan. God has a plan. I think we can all agree with what we've read so far, the parents of Samson thinking perhaps this is the worst decision he could ever make. And perhaps it was the worst decision he's made so far, but probably there'll be worse along the way. But the parents did not realize God has a plan to use this unwise, self-motivated decision to put Samson in a place and a position to begin to bring defeat to the Philistine enemy. Because he wasn't doing it on his own. or He wasn't following how God had planned. Now let let me remind you. Jesus has already defeated your enemy when he died on the cross and when he rose again. But we still have daily battles to fight. Sometimes those battles include following all of God's ways. But no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, whether you're walking close to the Lord or whether you feel that you're far away or maybe somewhere in between, or if you're not a follower of Jesus... God has a plan. In fact, I believe it was part of God's plan for all of us, for you to be here, particularly if you don't know Jesus today, that you have come into this place today. If you're listening live stream today, it was part of God's plan so that you might be able to hear the good news that Christ died for you and wants to give you new and eternal life. And before this hour is complete, you can decide to give your heart and life to the Lord Jesus And we want to help you with that very thing. Well, let's drive through a little bit more. We're going to probably drive a little bit faster. And we'll see the strength of Samson revealed. Samson and his parents go down to Timnah 
Enemy territory again. They go to get the girl, the Bible says. On the way, Samson is traveling through a vineyard. His parents are not with him, so they're not traveling together, but I guess they're going to the same place. And as he's traveling through this vineyard, suddenly this young lion comes rushing toward him. Barehanded, he tears the lion into pieces like someone would tear apart a young goat. Now, I've got to tell you, I've never torn apart a young goat. I've torn apart, as a Baptist preacher, I've torn apart a few fried chickens before. But my guess is, it's easier to tear apart a young goat than it is a lion. Thus began the legend of the strength of Samson. The Bible says he didn't tell his mom or dad what happened. Maybe he didn't want them to know, because as a Nazarite, he was not to touch a dead body of any kind. Nor was he to drink a strong drink, or as the Bible says about a Nazarite, not even, touch, not even eat a grape. But there he was walking in the vineyards. I would imagine walking in the vineyards did not help him to keep his vow. Temptation is all around, but if you want to please God, you want to resist temptation, you walk away, or as the Bible sometimes says, flee or run away from temptation, not walk in the midst of it. Samson meets the girl for the first time. He's only seen her before, and maybe from afar. Now he talks to her for the first time. Verse 7, he repeats again. She was right in Samson's eyes. She's just right. He, he, the girl is okay with him. In the unspiritual aisle, it may seem that we are sitting here writing, or the Scripture is helping us to write a lifetime or a hallmark made-for-TV movie, were it not for one thing. This was not right in God's eyes, and He is the only one who really matters. Do you remember the very last verse in the book of Judges? We read it, we talked about it a moment ago. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Hopefully by now that uh, you know that there must be a standard of right and wrong and a standard of good and evil. It is not up to us to decide. And God desires for you not just to choose the good thing, not just to do things that maybe you think or that others think are okay, but God wants you to, you to be able to have the courage, we, you and I to have the courage to choose to do the very best, the courage to be able to follow God's way. And do not think that God is a cosmic killjoy to take away from Samson or from you what is his or what is your heart's desire. Faith is demonstrated when we live by God's standards and we understand that He is the one who can bring even more joy and He is at work to make us even more like Christ. Well, i got to pull over for just a moment because even though Samson's back in enemy territory and he's traveling even in the midst of temptation, verse 6 tells us, we read it a moment ago, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him to protect him and give him the power to defeat the lion barehanded. Well, why would God do such for Samson? Well, we know that God has a call upon Samson. God loves Samson, even though he's in spiritual decline. And God is going to use Samson to bring defeat, to begin to bring defeat of the Philistines. Maybe reasons that we, beyond what we can know, but this we know. Remember, when we have passages that are hard to understand are hard to make application find something that you know is true and this we know is true God is the source of all power and all strength God is the source of power and strength God made you God made your hands and your feet and your mind and your heart and whatever you and I accomplish on earth God is the source do we forget that from time to time well sure we do but we need to be reminded when anything good is accomplished it's from Jesus 
There's no indication so far that Samson is aware of the source of his strength. But we're going to be reminded again and again as we look at the story of, of Samson that God it was his source, not his long hair, not any strength that he had on his own. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 17, we'll put on the screen for you. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Most of the temptations and most of the sins of this world or that you and I face can be placed in under one or more of these categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or the Christian Standard Bible says uh, pride in one's possession, sometimes known as the pride of life. Lust of the flesh probably having to do with our natural sinful nature that we have, that we, must, that we follow sometimes instead of the new nature that God gives us. Our eyes are often the avenue to incite wrong desires. And the pride in one's possessions or the pride of life is the opposite of humility, but instead it's arrogance of what we've accomplished on our own. All three are seen in the story of Adam and Eve, and all three are involved in the story of Samson. Not keeping these in check will lead to spiritual decline. But we, as the followers of Jesus, we are a weak people on our own. Maybe you in one area, maybe me in another area. Most of us cannot just simply say, well, I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm not going to fall into temptation anymore. Instead, when we have one time put sin, Satan, or self on the throne of our heart, we cannot just dethrone the enemy. There must be a replacement. So in order to help us not to move into spiritual climb, this is what we know and understand. We're to combat lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life by focus on serving Jesus and serving Him. Combat lust of the flesh and the rest of these by focus on Jesus and serving Him. He must be on the throne of your heart. It must be something that you deliberately do. Jesus, I'm giving you my heart. Please come take control of all the things. Be Lord of my life. Whether you do that as a new believer that is coming in, or sometimes we have to do it over and over again. Or do it again and say, Jesus, come take control of our heart, take control of our life. At this time, Samson was not allowing God to rule in his life. And there, there was a domino effect that was taking place. One action caused another reaction kind of continuing to the, the decline. Now... Come back on and we're going to take another ride again, but this time I need you to be sure that you have put your seatbelt on. Make sure it is secure. Keep all arms and legs inside the car because we're about to get on the interstate and move a little bit faster. Because I want you to notice the domino effect. Because Samson spent too much time in enemy territory for the wrong reason. He saw a daughter of the Philistine had to have her. Because he had to have her, he told his mom and dad, get her for me. Because he told them to get her, all, they all went down to enemy territory. Because they all went down to enemy territory, he was attacked by a lion, touched a dead body, met a woman of his dreams for the first time. And in his eyes, she was just right, but he was not looking through God's eyes. Some days later, he returns to enemy territory for a third time, and he had to see, while he's on his way, the lion that he had killed previously. 
He comes to see the conquest that he had given. Perhaps he thought that he had done this on his own. So he comes to the lion and he discovers there are bees making honey in the dead carcass of the lion, which I'm told this is a pretty unusual thing to happen. In fact, it is sometimes seen as maybe a miraculous thing to happen. But as we will see, God is using this for His purpose. Now, we're, we're given this detail in chapter 14 and verse 9. It says, It scrapes the honey out with His bare hands, eats it along the way, and He gives some to His parents and doesn't tell them where He got it. Hey, there are probably a lot of things we don't tell our parents. But this detail is given for a reason. He's escorted by His father to the bride, and Samson prepares a seven-day feast to make ready the marriage. Now, the mother's not mentioned again in this passage, but the father's there perhaps at the wedding taking place. And, and we don't know this for sure, but it's only speculation. But perhaps maybe as the more spiritually in tune, after one time in enemy territory, she's not going again. She's not going to have anything to do with these activities. But when the Philistines see Samson, they appoint him 30 attendants either as groomsmen or guards or both. They're called here, they're called companions. And here were 30 of Samson's new best friends because he didn't bring any groomsmen with him. And, and I'm sure they're not there to guard Samson, but they're there to guard against Samson should the need arise. Well, to liven up the activity, Samson proposed a riddle or a challenge. If they could answer this riddle, he would give them 30 linen garments, and 30 changes of clothes. If they couldn't answer it, then he would get from them 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. Linen garments being maybe what was worn next to the body, and the change of clothes would be the outer or ornamental layer. Most people had only one set of this, maybe two at the most. So it was a big bet, at least for Samson, if he had to get 60 pairs of clothes to the 30 men. But... His new 30 best friends agreed. After all, there was 30 of them. Surely they could come up with the answer. Let's have the riddle. Riddle's found in chapter 14 and verse 14 where it says, Out of the eater comes something to eat, and out of the strong comes something sweet. The answer, of course, is about the lion and the honey and the fact that the riddle rhymes in English is only coincidental, but only Samson surely could answer that riddle. Only he knew of the lion and the honey in the dead lion's carcass. Three days went by and they could not answer the riddle. So on the fourth day, they threatened his wife, or soon-to-be wife, though engaged in those days was just like being a wife. And they said, uh, entice your husband to tell us the answer or we will burn you and your father's house down. They were pretty desperate. And then she became pretty desperate. She pleaded and cried to Samson. The Bible said she cried for seven days, so she cried for... The three days even before they were being asked. She's a seven-day crier. I mean, I've heard of crying at the wedding, but this is kind of over the top. And I'm kind of surprised I didn't leave her at the altar even then. And first he told her, he said, I cannot tell you the answer to the riddle. I've not even told my parents, as we found that detail earlier. But then she cries again and again. Then he caves and tells the answer. And she tells the 30 companions. And they answer in Judges chapter 14 and verse 18. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Notice his answer back. If you've not plowed with my heifer, you've not found out my riddle. 
I'm not too sure how good she felt about being called a heifer. And I'm not sure it sounds any better in the Hebrew, in the original language, but it has something to do with a heifer not usually using, used for plowing. Quickly to verse 19, it says this, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town, took their spoil, gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. Ashkelon was another Philistine town far enough away that maybe news of the slaying of the 30 would not have come back quickly. Now let me remind you, the Philistines have been oppressing the Israelites for 40 years. We, we don't have to look very far for more of a modern day example. We've been hearing on the news about the Taliban, all that they've done and they're suspected of doing to the people of Afghanistan. Even that place that is happening is not all that far away from similar circumstances some 3,000 years ago by the Philistines who were oppressing God's people. And listen, for the first time in 40 years, even though it was for the wrong reason, an Israelite was fighting back. Spirit of God rushed upon Samson to remind us that God is always working. God is always working. Even with an unsuspecting person with wrong motives, God is at work. Now, this does not mean that your motives or your actions do not matter. It's just the opposite. Notice that the Spirit of God every time rushes on Samson. He did not have the Spirit of God with him all the time. Unlike those of you who are followers of the Lord Jesus, the Bible says that we have the Spirit of the living God. We have the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the living God where the Holy Spirit dwells. Now, we've thus far looked at a couple of uh, chapters, and there are a couple of more, but this chapter ends kind of sullenly. Not suddenly, but sullenly. In anger, Samson goes back home, and his wife is given to the companion who is acting as his best man. That word companion describes those 30 Philistines, so likely the best man was a Philistine. And, and this is still just the beginning of the fighting against the enemy. Boy, I want you to want to know what happens next. I want you to want to want to come back next week and tune in or discover about how God brings victory, how we can fight against spiritual decline in our own lives and help others to turn from declining into growing in a healthy walk with Jesus. But for now, the Lord is working. If the Lord is working, and we've determined already that the Lord is already always at work, we found in this particular passage where it Seems a little bit difficult maybe for him to be at work. He still continues to work. But if the Lord is working, drop everything to join him. For God desires your complete submission. Drop everything to join him. And God requires your complete submission. Two familiar verses kind of help us out, kind of round out the things that are happening here in this particular episode in Samson's life. One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18 says this, Pride goes before destruction, and the Holy Spirit before a fall. You've heard that verse, I'm sure, before. And in the New Testament, we got Matthew chapter 23 and verse 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, Samson goes through, and we read a lot about his exploits and about his adventures. And it seems that he has a hard time knowing the difference maybe between what right and wrong or making right choices. And maybe we're even having a hard time 
discovering what's right here and what's wrong here, but this we can know. Jesus is sufficient. He's all we need. He is the one and the only hope for the world. He is the one and He is the only hope for you and He is the only hope for me. And you can place your trust in Him today and follow in the footsteps of Jesus, the King of Kings. Don't follow, don't fall into spiritual decline like Samson, but instead find the sufficiency of Jesus to help you to continue to grow in your faith as well. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your presence here. We thank you that we can come into your house and know that you're ready to meet with us. We know that we can do that individually as well this week, and we pray, Father, that will continue to be the case. Father, help us not to fall to the spiritual decline, but instead, Father, to replace that with the sufficiency of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to follow Him today and every day. And Father, we, we, Father, we pray if there's one here today or more, or one who's listening today that does not know You as Lord and Savior, we pray that today might be the day that they find the sufficiency of the King of Kings to know that we can rely on Him Trust Him for our eternity. Trust Him for our life today. We pray today that there may be one or more calling upon you, asking Christ to forgive them of their sins, asking Jesus to come in. We pray, Father, even now, that today that you may continue to take the throne of our hearts, that we, you might replace sin, self, or Satan, or whatever may be ruling, that only Jesus might rule. Lift up these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.